coming season in the, in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we started working through Luke in April of 2010. Quite a few years ago. Now, we've only been working through it uh, about 50% of the time each year, and so that's why it's taken us quite a bit longer. We had a lot of different things that we've looked at uh, over these years. We've done a series in the Psalms, we've done a series on family, we've done two series, an overview of the Bible. We've done a number of different things, and all those are available for you online. Uh, but now it's time to land this plane in the Gospel of Luke. We are going to come to conclusion right at Easter time. Uh, we're going to be celebrating the resurrection right as we get to Easter, and so I'm very excited about this process. Uh, I'm just going to start reading this book uh, called uh, AD 33, The Year That Changed the World, and it's about all the things that were going on in 30, AD 33, everything that was happening around this incredible event that we celebrate, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I'm really hoping that in this season we'll dive deep into that world and pull out the lessons and the important stuff for how it is that we live in this particular time and season right now in this particular place. So uh, I'm excited that you'll be joining uh, us on that process. Uh, the, the title that we've give, been giving to the study of the Gospel of Luke is Total Transformation. And what we're looking at is how on one level God transforms everything in the world, we, we look forward to the, the fullness of his redemptive plan when everything will be transformed. But at the same time, we're hoping and praying and seeking his transformation now, at this time, as a kind of a deposit of what's to come in the future. And I remember, in particular, as we started this series, there was one, uh, one of our members who stood up to give testimony, and he, he stood up and he said, I, you know, as we started this total transformation thing, I thought it was a little bit hokey, I didn't really believe it, and then God intervened in my life, and my life has been turned around and transformed, and he proceeded to tell this wonderful story of the transformation that God had wrought in his life. And I want us to think this morning as we launch into the final segment of the Gospel of Luke with open minds about what God might do in our midst to bring about the kind of transformation that many of us have been longing for for years and years and years and praying for. God, would you work in the midst of this study of the transformation that happens in the Gospel of Luke to bring about transformation in our community in the kind that we've been longing for and hoping for and that we know ultimately will be perfected in Christ in the redemption of all things. So, if you'll open your Bibles to Luke 21, we'll get started here. Luke chapter 21, we're going to be reading just a few verses. If you need a Bible, uh, please raise your hand. We'd love to pass one to you, and we can send this Bible home with you if you don't have one. We want to make sure that you've got that available to you. Really, uh, what's important here is what's in the Scripture and not, and not what I have to say so much. So we really want this to be available to you and for you to have easy access to it. So raise your hand if you need a Bible. On that Bible, uh, it's on page 752 that we're going to be looking at today. Now, a little background as you're finding your place there. We have been looking, uh, when we were last in the Gospel of Luke, we were walking towards Jerusalem, Jesus walking towards Jerusalem, and there was a kind of an opposition that was growing as he drew near and near to Jerusalem. And at the very end, there were these five encounters that we looked at where uh, the, the, the religious elite, all different ones of them, came after Jesus to ask him hard questions to see how he would deal with them in the hopes 
that in, by asking him these hard questions, he would diminish himself in the eyes of the crowds who were loving him and following him and, and, and wanting to uh, do, follow his, be submissive to him. So they were hoping to bring him down a peg, and every time they tried to do that, Jesus had this remarkable answer. Remember we said over and over again, Jesus is not only the most loving and kind man in the world, but he's the, most, the smartest man in the world who ever lived. And every time he had this amazing response, he would catch, he would turn it around on them, and they would be left dumbfounded and without an answer. And this happened five different times as he's walking towards Jerusalem. At the end, he asks them a question. And of course, none of the religious elite are able to answer that question that he asks. And so he uh, sort of demonstrates his authority in the midst of that and uh, really his, his, his divinity, too, in the process of it in the particular question that he asks. Uh, and now what's going to happen is that Jesus is going to give them a counterexample. So you've got the religious elite that people look up to and they say, well, those are the people we're, we're supposed to follow. And Jesus is, is taking them down a peg and, and pointing out their, their flaws and weaknesses. And now he's going to sort of pivot and he's going to say, now here's the person that you should be like. Here's who you should be like. It's a surprising person. It's a counterexample. It's not at all who they would expect. Look with me in verse 1, chapter 21. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. Now, we know from what follows that probably the circumstances that they're in the temple area. There were multiple courts leading into the center of the temple. And in one of the outer courts, there were these uh, offering uh, boxes. They were like trumpets, uh, 13 of them sort of positioned around the court. And people would put their offerings in there to support the ministry of the temple. Now, it may be that when they put their offering in, there was somebody there who actually called out the amount that they put in. Can you imagine that? Kevin, that's your new job, huh? <laughs> Back there. Uh, we, don't, we, we have a box. We don't have a trumpet. Um, but could you imagine a, a different transparency ethic going on there, um, apparently? Now, the thing about it, though, you could see how this would be abused, right? If people are putting in their offering and people, somebody else is calling out the amount, then if you were somebody who could put in a lot of offering, obviously you would take advantage of that. If you were one of the rich... Um, you would look good. It would be another, another symbol of your, your success and your pride would be to put in the kind of offering that would, that would lead them to call out a big number and everybody would look to you and, and it, would, it would feed your ego and your, your, your sense of self and all of that. And, and, and these rich that Jesus is talking about are probably, there's a strong overlap between the ones who've been challenging him on these last five engagements with him and those, the rich that are being talked about here, putting their gifts in. Most likely it was these religious elite, these religious leaders that were the ones also putting in uh, their wealth, at least some of them, and being uh, noted for that. Now, verse 2 says, and he saw a poor widow put in two small Copper coins. Now, to be an official widow, what had to happen in that day was that you, your husband had to have died and you had nobody else to protect you. So you didn't have a son who was of age who could take care of you, nor could you return to your father's house. And so you were left kind of unprotected in that society and you didn't have a means of income. And so this woman uh, is, is not just a widow, she's also a, a vulnerable person. Uh, in that day, and, and somebody that, that was in probably desperate need of financial help. Now, these women um, 
would have been somewhat protected in some cases, but oftentimes they were looked down upon and scorned. And even in some cases, they would look to them as this being the, the punishment of God for some sin or failure on their lives. And not only that, because they didn't have that protection, they were taken advantage of. And so if you just go back a little bit into verse 47 of the previous chapter, when it's talking about the scribes and and all that they do to to gain uh, notoriety from the people, it says in verse 47, these same scribes devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. And so this was a, a group of people, the widows in that society, who were very disadvantaged, who were very taken advantage of, and scorned by many. They would have been the last ones that you would have looked upon as a model or an example. And yet Jesus points to this widow, and he's going to make of her a wonderful example. Now, she puts what literally are two lepta, it says, into the offering. Two lepta. That's the smallest denomination of the currency that was used in that day. Um, it would, they estimate about around 130 lepta would be one day's wage. So if we were to try to translate that into our current terms, maybe it would be 50 cents or somewhere around that. And so she puts in these two coins, uh, and, 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 and that's her offering. Um, verse 3, And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Again, we see this so often. Jesus makes a surprising statement. Suddenly, in Jesus' economy, two cents is worth more than $200. We see this over and over again. This is what Jesus does uh, how can it be for Jesus that two cents are worth more than $200 or whatever currency you want to use? Now, it's very typical of Jesus to operate in this world. He's forever upending the status quo. You notice that about Jesus? As we follow him through Jerusalem and, and through this whole process, he's forever upending the status quo. The first thing he does is he points to the widow as an example. This lowly, scorned woman is pointed to as the example, the one that they would have cast aside and and said she's on the outside. Perhaps she's even in this circumstance because of her own sin. Jesus says, no, that's the example that I want you to follow, not these other ones that you typically think of. I love this about Jesus. Um, If you feel small, if you feel insignificant, over and over and over again, we've seen in the Gospel of Luke that if you are the person in that category, you are not marginalized in Jesus' kingdom. In fact, often it's the case that you are moved to the very center. That the last shall be first. Jesus is all about upending the status quo. He keeps doing it over and over again. And here we have another instance of it. He's taken this woman and he's put her at the very center. And so if this morning you're here and you feel like this widow, you feel small, you feel insignificant, what what could you contribute to the world? I don't have anything to offer. Jesus is saying, look, Those are the very kind of people that I love to work through. That I love to hold up as the example. Those are the kind of people who have to depend on me. And as a result, I can do wonderful things through them. And Jesus holds up this this poor widow to the rest. And they would have been completely surprised by the example. And then, as if that weren't enough, he goes on to say that her two cents 
are worth more than their $200 or whatever it is that they were putting into the offering. Now, how can that be, Jesus? How can, I mean, just think about it uh, logically. How can this small amount be worth more than what they're putting in? It's not worth more. It's just two cents. How can it be worth more? And Jesus explains. As one commentator said, I love, I love how this commentator put it. He said, Jesus doesn't count. He weighs. He doesn't count, he weighs. In other words, Jesus is more interested in the heart out of which the giving proceeds than the quantity that is given. Or if we're to kind of make it really simple, Jesus cares about the heart more than the coin. He cares about the heart more than the coin. Put that on there. This is my only point today. Jesus cares about the heart more than the coin. We'll just keep it simple. He cares about the heart more than the coin. If you write one thing down, write that down. And why wouldn't he? He owns everything already, right? He owns it all already. He made this world. He sustains it moment by moment, day by day. He's the one that upholds everything that is. He, he, as the Bible says, owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But that doesn't even even begin to, to, to capture what Jesus has, what God has. He owns it all. So, So he doesn't have to be worried about the bottom line, about how much it all adds up to. He doesn't need to. What he cares about more than any of that is the heart. He cares about what's going on inside of us, and he holds up this widow as an example. See, the the rich gave what they didn't really need to begin with. But this widow does something spectacular. She gives what she literally needs for life. That's what the text says. She gives what she needs to live on. This is, this is a kind of a dangerous giving. She's stepping out in faith. and She's taking a risk. And she's giving what she would need to live on. And what that means is that there's all kinds of good things going on inside of her heart. Now, People can do things for wrong motives. But because Jesus is holding this widow up in this way, we assume that, that, that she's giving in this way out of a, out of a pure heart. And, and, and what must be underneath as she gives these, these two lepta that she would need to, to live on? There's got to be some, some love going on there for, for God and for His people. Remember, the temple is the presence of God. And so this widow is drawn to the presence of God. And what she cares about more than anything else is to nurture and encourage the presence of God amidst the people. And it's enough, the love for that is greater than her her fear of survival. And so she gives her two coins out of that. What else must be going on in her? She must have a kind of a trust of God that I think a lot of us yearn for but we fail to lean into is this trust that says, okay, not only am I going to trust you with, with, with the extra things that I want, but I'm going to trust you with the things that I actually need to live on. God, if I, if I release this to you, then I'm going to be completely dependent upon you for what comes next. 
See, that's a, that's a dangerous kind of, it's not a safe kind of giving, it's a dangerous kind of giving that she engages in. And the only way that that can be done is through trust in God. And so she gives out of faith, and she gives sacrificially. Again, that's the dangerous part of it. She's, you know, I think a lot of times we, I know I this way for me, I find it easier to give on, out of something that I don't really need. I might miss it, but I don't really need it, and so I give. It's a whole other story to give out of that which has entered into the category of a need for myself, to say, I'm going to go without this because I'm deciding to be generous of heart, to be sacrificial. That's a kind of giving that goes a step beyond. And, and in the midst of it, what must be happening in this widow's heart is there's a kind of a freedom. She's not attached to money. She's able to release it, to let it go. It's all that she had to live on. And, and it's that heart, it's that heart of freedom and sacrifice and trust and faith and generosity. It's that heart that God longs so deeply for in us. He wants us to have that freedom and that joy and that trust and that ability to sacrifice, because that's how he made us. He made us to be that kind of a person. And so he wants to call us back after the fall and the sin, and we've lost that. He wants to call us back into that freedom and that sacrifice and that trust and that joy to be like a child walking with God and trusting all of life to him. He wants to call us back to that, and this widow is an example of it. And not only does he long for us to be there, but we, if we're really honest with ourselves, long to be there as well. Who, is a, who of us loves to be enslaved by financial cares? Who of us loves to walk not in trust, but in fear and anxiety of what will come tomorrow? See, none of us want that. It's not how God intended for us to be. And so he's calling, he's calling us into something. What he cares about more than the, the bottom line is not his problem. What he cares for is our hearts. My, uh, we've done this tradition, and I, I can't take any credit for it. It's, it's, it's my wife. But um, she takes the kids out to Union Square uh, around the holiday season, and they... They're all instrumentalists, violins and cello, and they play in Union Square, um, usually someday around Christmas, all day long. And it's pretty grueling. There's tons of people there, and it's kind of chaotic, and I usually stay away. Um, <laughs> and I don't feel good about that, but um, so I'll show up at the end and be supportive. But um, it's amazing um, what they do. And, and what they do is they put out signs and say, we're raising money for... Um, this or that. So for International Justice Mission uh, was, th- was the one that they usually do. Uh, and so they're out there playing, and they raised, you know, 400 and something dollars and then send it all off to International Justice Mission, which is this mission that breaks people out of slavery. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And they come, I always love to hear the stories afterwards. And so we come home, and, and my daughter Sophia is telling me the stories, and she says, she says Dad, you're never going to believe this. This family comes by, and you could tell they were very dressed nicely, and they, they had lots, uh, and they stood there, and they watched, and, and none, nobody in the family, none of the adults in the family, you know, gave anything or put anything in the offering, but they had this little girl, 
And she's standing there in front of them, and she was watching us and watching us and watching us. And, and, and she reached into her little purse, and she pulled out a penny. And she walked up, and she dropped it into the case. Now, why does that story stand out among all the other ones that could be told of that day? Why does that one capture our imagination and our attention? Because something must have been going on in the heart of that little child. And we all know that at the end of the day, that's more precious than money. Right? And so the story isn't necessarily, Dad, somebody gave us a $5 bill or somebody gave us a $20 bill or whatever it is. The story that stands out is the one about the little girl whose heart seemed to be moved. Because the heart is more precious than the bottom line, than the coin. And God knows that. He knows that about us. And this widow embodies it in a beautiful, beautiful way. Now, it's interesting timing for us to have a lesson on giving. If you've been part of this congregation, you know a little bit of the conversation that's been going on uh, around this of late. Um, And I want to just give some praise to God today. Um, Over the nine years of this church, It's been amazing how God has continually provided. We've seen this over and over and over again. And and Kevin's back there. He was on the church council and he's nodding his head because he's seen it in sort of seemingly miraculous ways. In the very beginning, there were so few people and I just wondered, how is this going to work? And somehow God made it work. And, And over the nine years, we saw this over and over again. Maybe we had one glitch at some point where it seemed like um, the giving was, was off, and that was around 2009, I think, when there was the recession and, and sort of the after effects of that, and, 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 and yet we pulled through that again. God pulled us through that. And in fact, I went for three years at one point without talking about giving at all from the pulpit. I, I, I literally, I came to, to preach on giving. I, looked, I said, when's the last time I preached on this? And I looked back, and it had been three years and so the congregation has been growing, um, not so much today maybe, but you see that uh, congregation has been growing. And, 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 and so we, we decided two years ago that, that the budget hadn't been growing in combination with the congregation. And so we would, we would do this thing called the Cedars Project. And over two years, we would, we would increase the budget to match the growth of the congregation. And so last year was the first year of the Cedars Project. And we did this incredible leap, 47% increase in the budget this last year. We thought, oh my goodness, this is, what are we doing? And not only did God meet that, but exceeded that. We thought, this is amazing. And we, the plan was, was to do one more year and to do another incremental leap. And so we did that uh, in this beginning of this fall. That's when our year starts. And so in October, we started our new budget and something happened. We hit a wall. And in those first two months of this new budget, Giving was way down, and we were 40% behind. It was like, what's going on here? Uh, Lord, did we miss something? Did we not see something? So we're praying and trying to figure out, and, 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 and you've probably heard a lot of communication from me on this recently. I've been trying to work this through as a community. What does it mean? And I just want to report to you that in December... We, uh, we don't know exactly, uh, I haven't heard the, what the latest numbers are, but we, we completely made up for that 40% deficit that we had incurred in the first part. So pray, can we praise God for that? Let's just thank God for, for that movement. 
So we start off with kind of a clean slate in January, and we've been praying about this whole thing and, and asking questions and asking sort of, okay, what's going on? What, God, what are you doing in our community? Because I believe that every time you encounter challenge or struggle, God's doing something in the community, and you just have to sit with it and wait and listen and let God work out his processes, and that's what he's doing in our midst. And people have been suggesting, you know, what could be going on. One of them is a, is, is, is a phrase you've heard me use, that um, the tragedy of the commons that uh, actually Kate brought to our attention. This idea, once you get a, past a certain size, then people walk into the room and they go, oh, there's lots of people here, so somebody will take care of it. And so we see that when, we, when we're seeking sign-ups for events, when we're seeking people to help out in different ways, we're seeing more of that sense of, oh, somebody else will take care of it. Um, and so it's called the tragedy of the commons. When I was talking to somebody recently, and they said, yeah, when I walked in, there were 70 people. And my first impression was, oh, no, I'm going to have to get involved, right? <laughs> but when you walk in and there's over 200 people, that's not what you feel. You think, oh, oh, I don't have to do anything. There's lots of people here. Somebody will take care of it. And everybody starts to think that way, and it becomes kind of this, this nobody jumps in. And so, and so there's a little bit of that maybe going on. It's a very common thing when a church goes over a certain size, and so we have to figure that out and work on that, which we're going to be doing over this coming season. Um, there may also be some other things going on. People have said, you know, um, you know, maybe people are having babies, and that's changing equations. I don't know. Uh, people are, 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 you know, I'm not going to go through all the different things people have suggested. Um, but this is what I know. It may be that we've not adequately taught on this subject. And for that, I and maybe some of us other leaders would bear responsibility for it. Um, because of this, sometimes we fail to discuss money because when we do, it sounds like we care about the bottom line. But at the end of the day, God cares about our hearts. And there are all kinds of spiritual blessings to be had from diving in to finances and how we deal with money, just like we do with all the other topics in life that come up. To be thinking rightly about what we have leads to spiritual freedom and blessing and all kinds of things. Some of us are enslaved because of debt, and we're growing in debt as we go along. And there's spiritual causes underlying that. And we need to be freed from that. We need to have a process for learning how to, to follow the Proverbs and the way God talks about dealing with our money so that we can become free from the debt that brings us down. I would say that probably 99% of us, to some degree, are affected with the disease of materialism. It's so hard to live in the United States and not be affected by the disease of materialism. You know, if you, there's this, this website called the Global Rich List, and if you plug in your numbers there, you can, if you have a phone, you can do that right now. It's, it just go Global Rich List. You can plug in your salary, and it'll tell you where you fit in the, in, 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 in the rest of the world. And if you plug in $50,000, for example, you will be, um, what was the percentage? Uh, you will be in the top 0.31% of people in the world. If you plug in $100,000, you will be in the, in the top 0.08% of people in the world. So, like, forget the 99 and the 1%. I mean, we're all the 1%, uh, you know, to some degree. 
um, living in the United States. And, 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 and I'm not sure we've really grasped what an effect that can have on us spiritually and how that materialism can creep in. Even to those of us who sit here and we go, no, but I'm not, I'm not wealthy. But actually, maybe there are ways in which we are wealthy in ways that we don't understand. We haven't seen how this material... I don't know how the gospel... I mean, the whole point, the whole thing about the, 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 um, the camel going through the eye of the needle, that's how hard it is for the rich man. I mean, we're all... That is the United States, right? We all have to grapple with that sort of wealth. Um, and that's tough. And so we need, to, we need to get this in the airwaves and talk about it because it's very important for our spiritual health. It needs to be addressed, not because of the church's bottom line. I think that most of the time I can get to the place where I could entrust that to God. God, you're going to do what you're going to do with this church. And it's your church. It's not mine. It's not about the bottom line. It's about our hearts and what God wants to do in our hearts to free us, to make us more like himself, to give us the joy of generosity. And, and I don't even want to focus on this having to do with giving to the church. This is, this is a way of life in our home groups, how we support one another, maybe with resources, but, but just being generous with who we are and showing up to help the person who has need, being generous with our time, being generous with, with what God has given us and who he's made us to be. This is all part of the same part of the same cloth because God wants us to become like him and here's his version of generosity. Okay, there's a bunch of people that are in need because they've sinned and they've fallen short of my glory and they are now separated from me and they're lost without me. What could I do to bring them back, to bless them, to love on them? Oh, I know. I will send my very son. What could be more precious? I will send my very son to them to live in their midst, to suffer in all the ways that they suffer. And then at the end of his earthly life, to go to the cross, to hang there as a perfect sacrificial atonement for their sin, that they might be reconciled to me. That's God's version of generosity. It knows no bounds. It knows no ends. And he's in the process of making us more and more like him. And sometimes it's a painful process, but it's a good process. And the more that we are dislodged from the love of money and brought into the kingdom of freedom and trust and generosity, the more we're going to experience and know his great blessing upon our lives. So we're going to offer a class. We'll do it again as we've done on, you know, those of us who might be enslaved to debt and we just feel like we can't get out of it and we keep going on this cycle. You know, we're going to re-offer the class this year on, on how to, to combat that, how to step out of that. Um, there are principles in the Bible that can be brought into your life that can completely transform the way that you handle the money that you have and you can be freed from that enslavement and it's, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Uh, we're going to do that. I'm going to email to you today uh, just a little PDF on generosity exercises. Our denomination has uh, somebody who actually has the title of Generosity Monk. That's his name. It's his title. And so he goes around, he talks about generosity, and he's done this uh, 21 
different uh, little devotionals on generosity. And I've been starting to work my way through them, and they're wonderful. And so I'm going to send that to you, and you can take a look at that over the next 21 days if you want. Totally up to your discretion if you sense God calling you to do that. So we're going to do some real practical things on that level. Uh, But at the end of the day, we want to focus on is what God's going to do in the midst of us and how important this is to who we are as a community. Not because of the bottom line. Not going to worry about that. That's not going to be the goal. The goal is going to be our hearts. Where are we in our hearts? We envision a church that shakes the status quo. And the only way that we're going to shake the status quo in this place is if we model something different than the materialism that is part of our culture these days. Somehow, some way, we have to model something better, something above, something new to the materialism that's in our culture in these days. And that's going to come when we grasp the heart of God and the generosity of God. That's how that's going to happen, when He works in us by His Spirit to bring about a transformation that we otherwise would not have known. And I'm not talking about just generosity and giving to the church. I'm talking about generosity across the board. Again, with your neighbor and your time that you give them. If they need help, will you be generous with your time to them to bring them that blessing, to show that you care about them? If somebody in your home group is struggling, will you gather around that person and be generous towards that person with your prayers and your time and maybe even your finances? Um, And what happens is as we, we get on board more and more with the generosity ethic that's at the heart of God, What happens in the midst of that is we become a community that stands against the culture of our world. It looks different. And people walk in and they go, oh my goodness, this is different. And I know we're doing this already. We've had all kinds of instances where people have stepped out in generosity to love on others and to be be giving. And, And I only hear part of the stories. And so it's beautiful. Let's keep going down that path with God's help. Let's become like the widow, so in love with God, so attached so trusting of God, so sacrificial that we're willing to give dangerously for the sake of being a part of what God is doing in the world, making his presence known in the world. That's what we're being called to as a church, and that is going to be a countersign to the world. I've been reading this book called Unchristian, and I recommend it to you if you're interested. In it. it's, it's kind of about how the American church is unchristian in some ways. Um, a lot of good insights uh, and, and one of the things that uh, he talks about is, is the church in Rome and why the church exploded in the very beginning. He says, consider the rise of the Christians during the Roman era. People were drawn to Christians not because of evangelistic outreaches or crusades or through mass media. Those didn't exist. They did it without Facebook. Um, the church grew because Christians were doing the gospel, doing the gospel, and had a community, a local church, where people really loved each other. During the great plagues that swept Rome in the second century, all the doctors fled, but the Christians stayed and took care of the sick. They embodied what Christians are called to do. Although many Christians died because they took care of the sick, pagans were drawn to Christ because they saw both the love of Christians and Christianity itself as a better way of life. When Constantine declared Rome in the Holy Roman Empire, people thought he did that for political reason, but he didn't. It was already Christianized. He just recognized the realities of what had really happened. There was explosive growth in the beginning. And why was it? It was because the world looked and saw the body of believers, and they said, oh my goodness, 
That is something totally different. They upended the status quo. We want to be a part of that. And at the very core of our becoming that kind of a community is our embracing a heart of generosity. So God, would you help us? Help us to embrace your heart. Help us to to be even risk takers, to be dangerous givers, to be dangerously generous with ourselves and our resources and our time and all that you have given to us because we love to see your presence magnified in the world because we, we trust that you have our back and you will provide and care for us as we have need because we love Jesus and we want to mirror his life in our sacrifices. Lord, would you Continue the good work that you're doing in us to make us a generous people. Would you, in the process, take care of whatever bottom lines this ministry and other ministries have? But at the end of the day, would you, most importantly, would you free us, free our hearts to be like yours? In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.